Dr. Gip, I appreciate you coming to the Bible study with me. I've been coming here for a couple of years and I got thinking about what you told me the other night and I really think my friends would like to hear this too because they really love the Bible. Well, I hope so, uh, but I'll be honest with you from past experience, uh, I found that they'll, that they'll probably be a little less than excited from what they hear. People that tend to defend their version, even if they see a mistake in it, it's based more on pride than a love for the Bible, but we'll give it a shot. But um, don't be surprised if they're a little less excited than, than you expected. Hey, sorry we're late. Um, this is Dr. Gipp, one of my professors at the Bible College. I hope you don't mind if he joins us tonight. Hello. Oh, hey, thanks for coming, Sam. We've just been discussing some of the miracles in the Gospels in our group, so uh, glad you came. Justin, why don't you tell us a little bit about your friend? Well, Dr. Gipp and I were talking after class a couple days ago, and he brought up this new concept about the modern translations, and I thought you guys might be interested in it. And I don't know, maybe you can explain it better than I can. Well, guys, I am a King James Bible nut. Now, you probably heard about those, but let me tell you what that means. Uh, we believe that God inspired a Bible perfect in the original, which is probably what you guys subscribe to. But then we don't think he lost the power to preserve it and put it in our hands today. Now, if God preserved his Bible to this day, it's got to be in one of the versions. It can't be in a hundred or two hundred different versions. It's got to be in one of them. And we believe it's in the King James Bible. Well, aren't all the Bibles the same as the King James Bible, just without all the these and the thous? Well, yeah, that's what a lot of people think, that, that all the new versions are just the King James without the old language and the these and thous, but that's not actually true. There's, they, they have a lot of problems. What version do you have? New International Version. Okay, I'll give you an example. You've got an NIV. Uh, read Matthew chapter 17, verse 21 for me, if you would. It's not there. Well, what comes after verse 20? 22. Well, that's okay. Read Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. It's not there. What comes after verse 10? 12. So you bought a Bible from somebody that couldn't count to 25? Well, those verses are in mine. Well, what version do you have? The New English Bible. Well, actually, there's a problem with that. That is probably common to just about every version here. Um, turn to Luke chapter 23. And while you're turning there, let me ask you guys a question. Do you guys believe in a hill called Mount Calvary? You probably sang a hymn or two about Calvary. You went, saw a church, Calvary Baptist Church. or I mean, it's a common, commonly used word. Well, I'll tell you why. If you believe in Calvary, you believe it for only one reason. You believe it because of Luke chapter 23, verse 33 in the King James Bible. Because that is the single only place. I'll show you. Luke 23, verse 33, it says this. And when they came to the place which is called Calvary... Now, that is the only time the word Calvary appears in the Bible. What does your New English say? Um, it says, and when they reached the place called the skull. Okay, what, is, what do you have? What, do you, what version? Good News Bible. Okay, what does it have? The skull. And what does your NIV have? It says the skull. And I think I saw a New American Standard, and you looked it up. What does it say? The skull. And what do you have? Mine says Calvary, actually. All right. Do you have a King James? What do you have? Uh, the New King James. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a in-your-hands New King James, or do you have a between-your-arms New King James? You don't know, do you? Mm -mm. Well, the fact is that they've made running changes in New King James and never told anybody about it. Uh, I'll show you. I've got, <clears throat> I've got a New King James. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, the King James Bible 
has a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ. And in that verse, it says, uh, what are these wounds in thine hands? Now this is a, a New King James Version. And here's what it says in verse 6. Uh, and someone will say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? Now they took out thine, but the, the prophecy is still there. So you got a King James Bible, what are these wounds in thine hands? And a New King James, what are these wounds in your hands? Now this is a 1982, this is when it first came out, that's the edition. What does yours say? Mine says, and one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Well you just lost a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ, and you got two New King James versions, and they read differently. And nobody ever told anybody that they were making those changes. Yeah, but I think we could agree, you know, that as long as the doctrines are intact, that's the most important part. Yeah, but let's remember something. The Bible is not a college textbook. I don't know of anybody that says, hey, what are you going to do tonight? Well, I'm going to go home and read my college textbook. Like there's nothing else to do. The Bible is our source for for preaching. Uh, it is. Uh, it's, it goes far beyond just doctrine. And one of the problems with modern translations is they tend to put problems where there were no problems before. Well, Brother Gip, if I can just say something real quick. I, I feel like you've come in here and, okay, you've shown us some problems with our Bible and some of it's funny. And, and you just come in here and you're just causing division now between us when we're trying to learn the Bible together. Well, I understand the sentiment of that statement. And sometimes it is construed that way, like you King James guys are causing division. And if it wasn't for that, we would have unity. But unity is just that. Think about this. There's probably no portion of Scripture known to the world lost or saved better than Psalm 23 out of a King James Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So even a lost world knows what that sounds like out of a King James Bible. How about we just do it? How about we just all read? We'll read from all the versions you have. We'll read Psalm 23 in unison and see how it sounds. Okay. Now, before we read this, we all acknowledge from the Bible that God is not the author of confusion. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, darkness, I will not be afraid, Lord. For you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and staff protect me. Thou hast richly Surely goodness and loving kindness follow me forever now what one word best describes what you just heard I want to make sure that we uh, and we'll cover it a little bit in the message tonight. Um, regarding our spirit toward it. I want to make sure that we don't have an arrogant attitude because we hold to the King James. Um, that is a danger that, uh, that those who hold to any translation uh, can adopt a, an arrogancy about that, and we want to be very careful. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, I'll just read this. Um, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now in this, um, just to throw this out, um, because there's, 
There's folks who are on all spectrums of the, um, the knowledge base in this particular uh, series, uh, some who have a great deal of knowledge regarding this particular topic, and some, they really are brand new to all this. And uh, so there's no way for me to, to get through all of the details to really uh, cover this in, 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 in the right amount of detail for those who have a full knowledge to learn something. So this is going to be a lot of review for some, but um, I'm trying to hit just the basics and trying to hit the, um, um, just scratching the surface. And, and hopefully, again, as I mentioned last Sunday night, to hopefully whet your appetite to do your own research and to do your own study. And, uh, and it is worth the study. Um, so uh, tonight we're going to be in uh, part two here, understanding the trouble with uh, the, this translation issue and, and the different uh, Bible versions. And so with that, let's go ahead and jump in here to number one, the trouble with doctrine. There is, there is doctrinal differences when you compare these versions. It's not just a matter of ease of reading. It actually tweaks doctrines, and it is important. And we looked at that last Sunday night a little bit when we uh, delved into uh, the virgin birth, and we're going to go ahead and look at that again. That's the first doctrine that we want to look at, and this is one of many that are that are um, changed when you use a different version. Most of us are aware that uh, and and believe that Jesus Christ was indeed born of the Virgin Mary. That's absolutely essential to Christianity. Without the virgin birth, then Jesus has sinful blood, and he therefore could not be our ultimate substitute. So the virgin birth is, is, a, is a doctrine that is fundamental to Christianity. And without that, um, we're, why are we even meeting tonight? Let's go home and watch football. Um, the virgin birth is a, a doctrine that is true, but uh, when you look at some of these other versions, it, it dilutes it, and it makes you question it. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 33 is a key, key verse regarding the, the virgin birth of, of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 and verse 33, and the King James says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now, this is after Jesus was born. This is when Jesus was actually 12 years old. But um, they come back to find Jesus there in the temple, asking questions and answering questions with, uh, with those there. And, and it says, and Joseph. And notice how I underline that because that's key. Um, let's look here at uh, what uh, the uh, English Standard Version says. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Do you see the difference? One mentions Joseph and then his mother. And that's the King James because it differentiates the fact that Jesus had a, had a mother, but Joseph was not his father. God was his father. Do you see that's important when we talk about the virgin birth? And the American or the... Um, the English Standard Version dilutes that and really insinuates that Joseph was his father, which takes away the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. So these are not just small little preference, preferential differences. These are doctrinal differences. Okay, the New American Standard Bible, uh, let's show that one, and it says, and his father and mother. So it says the same thing. Uh, we're amazed at the things which were being said about him. 
So again, these little differences uh, are important. Uh, the virgin birth is an absolutely fundamental doctrine, and, and uh, these versions uh, get it wrong. Okay, so uh, what else? Uh, the proof of the resurrection. Again, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then why are we here tonight? Our faith is in vain, uh, Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, that is the central difference between our religion, although we view it more as a relationship, right? But, but the difference between Christianity and every other religion is that our religious founder is not dead anymore. He rose from the dead. And so here's a reference, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, regarding the resurrection. In the King James it says, "...to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs." And I underlined infallible proofs. There are many infallible proofs. That insinuates that these, these, these proofs that Jesus gave us, which, by the way, when he appeared to the different people, and, and you remember how he appeared to 500 men at once? Uh, these are the infallible proofs that Jesus uh, indeed bodily resurrected from the grave. And so here Luke, the human author of the book of Acts, says... He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Okay, what does the ESV say? It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Do you see the dilution there? Uh, we've taken out the word infallible, and now it's just proofs. So they're not, they're, they're not, they're not infallible, they're just proofs. Uh, the New American Standard Bible says, um, by many convincing proofs. So uh, there's at least an adjective in that one, but, but there's a difference between the word infallible and the word convincing. Because I can convince you that, you know, I'm a professional hockey player, but it's not true, although I wish it was sometimes as I'm watching. wish I can go out there and play for the Dallas Stars and get the puck in. Um, I can convince you that I am, but it's not infallible. Um, I can't prove it. I can maybe have some convincing proofs. So do you see the differences here? Um, these aren't just easier to read, okay? And that's what a lot of people think when they're picking a Bible uh, to, to look at. They're, they're trying to pick the one that's maybe easiest to read, easiest to understand, well, I would rather have something more accurate than easy to understand, and I can maybe learn to understand that type of language a little more. Um, instead, of it, instead of catering to me, I should cater to the truth. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, so uh, what else? What other doctrine is tweaked in these versions? Um, this is a big one, the Trinity. Somebody tell me what the Trinity means. Three persons in one. God is three persons in one. And who are the three persons of the Godhead? Excellent work. Who are your parents? I just got to know. Okay, one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible regarding the Trinity is found in 1 John 5 and verse 7. 
And in the King James, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So a very strong verse that teaches the Trinity, and teaches the fact that the Father, the Word, which is the Son of God, and the Holy Ghost are, are one. Okay, what does the English Standard Version say about this? For there are three that testify. Well, that's not quite the same, is it at all? I mean, that's like me, Luke, and Bella are testifying. It could be any three. So, and the New American Standard Bible, exactly the same. There are three that testify. And uh, this is is a key verse, and actually we're going to come back to this verse here in a moment. Uh, because there are other versions that do something even scarier uh, with this verse. But for now, another doctrine that gets diluted in some of these modern versions is the very important uh, doctrine of salvation. And I'm not going to put a lot of, I don't think I have any verses under this, but uh, to put up on the screen, and so you can maybe mark these down. Um, But these these verses... um, indicate how we come to Christ or who our salvation is in. And some of these words are are missing. Mark chapter 9 and verse 42 says, And whosoever shall offend in one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. In the modern versions, the words in me are taken out. So it kind of reads something like, Whosoever shall offend in one of these little ones that believe... It is better for him that a millstone, you see, taking out the words in me, and these are the words of Jesus, is dangerous because I believe in in the boogeyman. You know, what, what do you believe in? What are we talking about here? And Jesus made it clear that these these little ones who are believing in him. And so the critical text takes out the words in me. John 6 and verse 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And can you guess which two words are taken out of that verse? On me. So it would read something like, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth hath everlasting life. Again, I believe that we never went to the moon. Okay, does that make me now have everlasting life? Now, for the record, I do believe we went to the moon. But you see what I'm saying? It could, you could take this and, and, and tweak it however you want. Galatians 4 and verse number 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The words through Christ are taken out in the critical text. Then an heir of God, Period. Well, we're an heir of God through Christ. (laughs) That's how we become an heir of the Lord. It's through His Son, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The words through His blood are taken out, so it would simply say, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. So the blood of Christ is removed. How dangerous. So there is great trouble with doctrine here because 
these major doctrines that are essential, you know, well, we're just, we're just making it easier to understand. Okay, well, we're actually changing what it means, too. All right, and uh, in the video, we talked a little, they talked a little bit about the New King James, and so I wanted this to uh, give a couple examples on the differences between the King James and the New King James, because a lot of people believe New King James is a translation that is just a little easier to read, and it got rid of the archaic verbiage, the these and the thous, the yees and the... The yees and the yous, well, it didn't get rid of the yous. It got rid of the yees and the these and the thous. Yet, actually, all of these uh, make the King James more precise. Because, see, in the English language, we just say you, and it could mean one person or a group of people. Unless you live here in Oklahoma, then you can say y'all. But um, in the King James, these words don't take much effort or time to learn. You know, let's just get rid of those words. Why? Why is it so hard to learn what ye means, or thee or thou? Why is it so hard? It makes the passage more precise, more accurate. Okay, here's a couple other examples of differences of meaning between these two seemingly similar versions. And I do have these verses on the screen. Revelation 19 and verse 8. And to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for... The fine linen is the righteousness of saints. That's the King James. And I have here, I underline the righteousness of saints. And then the New King James here, it says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, which is it? Is it the righteousness of God that it was given to us at the moment of our salvation when we believed on Him? Or is it the righteous acts that we have to do? Which is it? That's a key passage. How about another example? What about 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18? And this is a little more startling. It says in the King James, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. So we're already saved, right? And once we get saved, it's a momentary decision, and we're, it's settled, it's sealed. But according to the New King James, here's what it said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Oh, so evidently it's a process now. Evidently it takes time. We're in the process of being saved instead of we are saved. Do you see the difference? It's not just preferential. There is some great trouble with doctrine. But next, number two, there's trouble with doubt. In these new versions, it does bring up great doubt in minds. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, and I'm just going to kind of preach here. This isn't comparing versions right now. Uh, but for 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 11 says, Lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This morning we talked about the fact that there is a devil, and he will do anything and everything to get us off course, right? And here Paul says to the Corinthians, Look, we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of how the Lord or, or the devil works. We understand, um, and, and part of... Part of our military here in America is understanding how uh, our enemy operates. 
We're foolish if we don't do any type of research and, and uh, get some intel on, on how our enemies are working. Well, as Christians, same thing. We better understand how the devil works. And how does the devil work? In Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 1, this is kind of the principle of first mention, right? If, for those who have uh, done uh, a class on hermeneutics and uh, one of the principles of understanding the Bible and Bible concepts is going back to when uh, these doctrines were first mentioned. And that's God gives some real good guidance on what that doctrine means or that word means or that concept when we go back to the very first time it was mentioned. And the very first time that the devil is trying to do something, we read in Genesis chapter number 3. In verse number 1, and most of us are familiar with it, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question mark. You see, right at the very beginning of Satan's operation here on this earth was to get people to question the word of God. And I believe that in some of these modern versions and this whole translation issue, one of the purposes behind it is the devil trying to cast doubt on the word of God. Um, Look, one of, and, and we could go down through that passage in Genesis chapter 3. He begins to not just question the Word of God, but then he replaces the Word of God. He begins to say, that's not what God said. Here's what God said. And, and we see this happening in some of these versions. So one of Satan's great tactics is that he has used since the beginning of mankind was to cast doubt on the Word of God. And with this translation issue, we see that the devil is doing just that. And how is he doing that? Well, through the accuracy of the Scriptures. Through the accuracy of the Scriptures. Psalm 119, verse 160. Uh, again, this isn't a lot of comparison here. I think we've done uh, most... Well, we'll do some comparison here in a moment. But Psalm 119, verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. But when you read John 7, verse 8, which we mentioned last Sunday night, if you recall, when Jesus said, Go ye up unto this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. But in different versions, such as the um, English Standard Version, it says, You go up to the feast, I am not going up to this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. Well, two verses later, if you recall, Jesus does indeed go up to the feast. So is this an inaccuracy? I mean, obviously, that, that insinuates that Jesus was lying. If he said he wasn't going up and then he did go up, the King James says he's not yet going up. You see, if the devil can cast doubt on the accuracy in this particular instance... Maybe he'll begin, we'll begin to doubt the accuracy of such verses as Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Uh, maybe we'll begin to uh, doubt the accuracy of verses as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we begin to, well, maybe John 7 and verse 8 is not so accurate. What about John 3, 16? What about John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, maybe there is another way, because maybe this verse is inaccurate too. Do you see? You see what this could possibly be bringing in this, in this instance? Okay, so uh, he cast doubt through the accuracy, or we should say inaccuracy, of some of these versions, but also through the availability of the Scriptures, through the availability of the Scriptures. And for this, I'm going to ask Brother Jed and, and uh, my son Seth to come on up here and uh, to help me with this through the availability of the Scriptures. And uh, we're going to do a little exercise, sort of like what they did in the video here. Seth, you get to be the English Standard Version, and you get to be the New American, or NIV, the New International, New International Version. No, not inspired. Not inspired version, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so remember we talked about 1 John 5, 7, and how important of a verse that is regarding the Trinity, and how it uh, talked about how uh, God the Father, God the Word, or the Son, and the Holy, Holy Ghost are, are one. Let's go ahead and, and turn into that, and let's look at the uh, availability here of these, of these particular scriptures. So I'll go ahead and read that verse in King James, and then uh, you can read it in the NIV, and then you can read it in the uh, English Standard Version. Okay, in the King James it says again, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. 1 John 5, 7. It's not that hard, brother. It's... Where there are three, the three that testify, the Spirit... Water and the blood and the and the and the three are in agreement. Okay. It's just set up. It's, it's very. It's yeah. I know. <laughs> and then you. Where there are three that testify. Okay. We already went through that one. Okay. Very good. So it's in there, but it's way different. Okay. Let's go to Acts chapter eight and verse thirty-seven. And this is an important verse in this particular passage, and I would invite you to turn over there in your, in your King James Bible, Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. I've got to turn over there too. Well, verse 36 uh, of Acts chapter 8, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And verse 37, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's verse 37. So that's, that's a really important verse to have in there. Okay, let's look at the NIV. So there's 36, but there's not, a, there's not 37. I'm sorry? There's not a 37. There's not a 37 in that verse? Okay, that's unique. They didn't like the number 37. So that verse is completely missing um, from that passage in these versions. 
And uh, some of these versions will have a little side note or a little mark there that, that say, oh, that these are available in other manuscripts, but they didn't choose to put that particular verse in there, and that's a key verse. Because otherwise it reads, See here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So evidently, no faith in Christ needs to be professed. Let's just go get baptized. And uh, yet, verse 37 uh, gives us the, before we get baptized, we need to make sure we believe with all thine heart that, um, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. This is a pretty famous passage. We use this a lot in talking about our, our mission as a church family. Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, and I'm not going to read the whole passage there, um, but uh, I'm going to read verse 15, because that's kind of the, our marching orders as a church family. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, what does your Bible say for uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 9? Well, it kind of ends there at verse number 8, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And then it has... It has that in real small print to say that, well, this is not the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Hmm. What does your say? Okay, and it has a little uh, footnote up at the top. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. And so it... You read that and you're kind of like, well, then should I even read it? I guess I don't have to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature because the, it's casting doubt on, on the availability of some of these scriptures. And uh, so we'll, we'll stop there. There's other ones we could look at, but they looked at some of them uh, in there. You guys get the idea. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate that very much. Um, I was, in studying for this, I came across a statistic that uh, the, the NIV, um, the one that uh, Brother Jed was looking at, and the King James, there is a 64,000 word difference between the two. The King James has 64,000 more words than the NIV does. It has taken out all of, a, lot of, a lot of words. Um, and so if you take your Bible and, and uh, kind of grab it from the middle of the book of Acts, you know, maybe Acts 17, and take it all the way to the end of Revelation, that's what the NIV took out in the amount of words. Because we want to make it easier to read. We want to make it easier to understand. Yeah, but what if some of those words were important and critical to understand what's going on? Well, we're making it easier to understand. Are we? Uh, I want to remember, all of us to remember, God's final warning prior to ending the Bible. And by the way, this was just four verses before the very end of the Bible. In Revelation 22, verse 18, For I testify unto you, 
or unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Um, that's a very stern warning, and I would take that very seriously, to not tamper with the word of God. All right, so we see here that the devil has been casting doubt through the accuracy of the scriptures, through the availability of the scriptures, and then uh, thirdly here, through the assurance of the scriptures. A lot of these so-called experts are casting doubt on whether we really even have the Bible. Listen to this. Here's what uh, so-called expert Roy Beecham and Kevin Botter said on the subject. He, God, has preserved his word in and through the thousands of existing manuscripts and that those who seek truth, listen to what we're supposed to be doing now, must compare those manuscripts to determine the correct readings when the manuscripts differ. What? <laughs> are, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Look, I'm all for studying and putting forth effort to learn the word of God. But do you really think that God expects all of us to spend all of our time determining what the word of God is by comparing manuscripts one with another? As a lot of people say in our day and age, ain't no one got time for that. Okay? No one has the access to all of these manuscripts. I don't. You don't. And I sure don't have the time to compare thousands of manuscripts to determine God's word. They're saying that we don't have the assurance that this is the word of God. Therefore, we need to go to all these manuscripts and begin piecing it together ourselves. Do you really think that God would, would do that when he has promised to, uh, he, he inspired his word and then promised to preserve it? No. Look what the church received as scripture was indeed accurate. It is available and it commanded their full assurance. God's word was made for the common man. Not for the elitist scholars who have all this time on their hands and nothing better to do than to, not that it's, not that that's a, it's a vain exercise, but to compare manuscripts one with another. Look, God has preserved his word, I'm telling you. And the word of God deserves our explicit trust. All right, number three, and uh, we're, 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 we're almost done tonight, and I know we need to get into the other aspect of the service, but... Um, I want to just end with this. Number, number three, trouble with division. Trouble with division. Um, this issue has caused quite a bit of division over the years. And uh, like we talked about last week, this issue needs to be addressed with the right spirit. We need to make sure that we don't get haughty in our spirit because we hold to the King James. And there are many who do. And it is wrong. Um, you have the right stand, yes, but their spirit is not accurate. Their spirit is not right. Uh, I just want to share with you very quickly here, there are several reasons why a church would choose a certain translation. First of all, uh, a lot of them choose it because of ease of reading. You think, well, we're going to pick the one that maybe everybody can understand and has an easy time with. Another one is unity. And uh, there are a lot of churches here and more that they have no Bible version that they choose. It's just whatever, whatever fits what the pastor wants to say. So the pastor will be a, 
a, a, a Bible version hunter to get what he wants out of the Bible. And, uh, and so I do at least applaud those who say, you know what, we're going to pick this version, and even if it's not the King James, at least there's some unification behind a certain translation. I think that that's better than saying there is no translation. Um, we're just going to pick it all. But, uh, but unity is one, and then popularity. Um, and some people kind of pick the most hip and happening uh, translation, what all kind of the, you know, the hipsters are using nowadays. And uh, we'll pick that particular version. But I prefer the last one, and that is the accuracy. That's why, or that's a reason why we should choose a certain translation, is the one that is most accurate. And that's the one that we have chosen to go with here at Cornerstone. Now again, there are those on both sides of the issue who have used unkind and harsh words. And so I thought it would be appropriate just to kind of end this message tonight by reading through the page on our website explaining our stand and our spirit regarding our church being King James only. And for those who have uh, come in the last year or so, and, and uh, you probably have seen this on our, on our church website. Here's what it says. Um, and, and, and the title is, Is Cornerstone Baptist Church King James Only? And uh, underneath it says, Like many of the terms used among churches, it largely depends on what you mean by the label King James Only. We believe that the King James Version is the most accurate translation available in the English language because of the method of translation used word for word and because of the text underlying it. The Hebrew Masirek, that's a harder word for me to say, and the Greek received texts. We are sympathetic to the difficulties that arise due to the antiquated language. We do not believe that the 17th century English is somehow more spiritual than modern forms of expression. What we are concerned with is textual accuracy. For instance, when speaking to one another today, we do not use the words ye and thee. Yet in a biblical passage, ye refers to a two or more people, while thee refers to a single person. And there are many places where this distinction is quite important. On the other hand, we reject the wicked, arrogant attitudes that are often displayed by groups claiming to defend the King James Bible. Here's a brief summary of our views. We do believe that God has perfectly inspired His Word in the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, and that He has preserved His Word in the uh, Hebrew and Greek received text, and that we have a beautiful and accurate English translation in the King James Version. We do believe that modern textual criticism is largely filled with heresy and unbelief, and we'll get into that a little bit more next week. We do believe that there is no need to rediscover, rediscover the preserved text of Scripture in modern times, but that God has preserved His Word through the common usage of the true churches throughout history. We do believe that while the antiquated English and the King James Version contain some difficulties, it is still worth the effort to learn some new words and phrases in order to use the most accurate translation available. We do not believe that all modern translations are equal. Uh, we would say that the New King James, for instance, is far superior to the other modern translations. And it's not superior to the King James, but we would, we would say, you know what, if we have to choose between a New King James and an NIV, uh, we're going to choose the, the New King James. Because of, again, where, um, where it the, the text 
that uh, underlies it. Oh, we do not believe that a person has to be saved from the King James Bible. It is Christ that saves, not a Bible translation. We do not believe that the King James Version was given by inspiration. Okay, we, again, we believe the originals were given by inspiration and then God preserved it uh, throughout history and then eventually into the King James Version. We do not believe that there is no use in studying the Greek and Hebrew original languages or that the King James Version is advanced revelation over the original manuscripts. Uh, we do not believe that the preserved Word of God is only available in English. We have the King James Version, but if you speak Spanish, I'm so sorry. You don't have the Word of God. We don't believe that. Okay, We believe that other, um, other languages have the Word of God as well, and that God preserved it for them as well. Um, we do not believe that Bible translators in foreign languages should be based on English uh, instead of, when possible, Greek and Hebrew. So better to go from the original Greek and Hebrew into whatever language you're going to be translating into rather than even taking the King James and translating it over to that. Uh, sometimes it's not possible to do that, and it, you need to take the King James and do that. Um, so anyway, we also do not believe that all men who disagree with us are useless to God and that we are better than them or that it is acceptable to use carnal insults and curses against them. We absolutely reject both the attitude and extremes of so-called Ruckmanism. And again, he, that, that I, we won't go into it. Um, you'll have to do your own research on that. But um, it's an arrogant attitude, to be sure. And uh, we want to make sure that we are, we are filled with grace. We speak the truth in love. Uh, we have the right stand, and we are not going to sh- sh- stop standing where we stand. But we're going to have the right spirit. Uh, I'll, uh, a couple more things here, and then we'll be done. Uh, This uh, little quote there at the end of your outline, men are no longer trembling at God's word and humbling themselves before it. We are no longer allowing the word of God to inspect us, but rather we become word inspectors. And that's the author here of the book I've been kind of using as my outline here for this series. And that's so true. Instead of just accepting, this is the word of God and I'm going to let it penetrate my heart. Now we come to it and say, oh, well, I wonder what another version says. Oh, good. Okay, I like that version better. Do you see? We become uh, word inspectors, and we become like trying to find an out for my particular pet belief or my particular um, way of living. Instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, it's like, well, maybe he says. Let's see what maybe he says in this version. Oh, I like that better. That sits better with me. So I thought that that quote was good. And uh, we'll wrap it up by just encouraging. I want to encourage all of us tonight to get the Bible, look at it, learn it, love it, and then live it. Um, Because you can have the King James Version and you can have the right stand on it. But look, if you're not actually reading it, it does you no good. So I would encourage all of us to have a daily time where we crack this book open and read it and that we learn it. We, we become students of the Word of God and that we memorize it. We hide it in our hearts and that we love it. We cherish it. We treasure it. 
And then most of all, that we live it. That we look what the Bible says and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and actually obey it. And so I want to end with that to make sure that we get the, the main thing listed here. And, uh, you know, it is having the right foundation, making sure that you have the right Bible is good. But make sure that you're using that Bible. Make sure that you're practicing that Bible. And with that, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our uh, business meeting. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for um, what you did to preserve the Word of God uh, for us as English-speaking people in the King James Version. We're grateful for that. Help us, Lord, to understand and be thankful for uh, that, but also, Lord, help us now to use the Bible. Help us to not just say, okay, well, I have the right Bible, but help us to use it. Help us to take advantage of it and apply it to our lives. We thank you for this time together tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.